daughters, sisters, and wives. They're gonna change our lives. Eat women, eat girls. They'll make a better world. Invest in Now here's your host, Catherine Gray. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Invest in Her. I'm your host, Catherine Gray, founder of She Angel Investors and co-founder of the She Angels Foundation. And of course, both of these are geared toward how do we fund more women? Today, we have on an extraordinary trailblazer. I'm so excited to welcome to the show the uh, first black woman to own a winery in the country. She also had an insurance company and a securities and investment firm. Please welcome Iris Rideau. Hi, Iris. How are you? Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for this invitation and the opportunity to be your guest today. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited to talk to you. You know, um, I am all about uh, trailblazer and entrepreneur women, and you are just the epitome of that. So many firsts. Um, I can't wait to talk about that and how you got on this extraordinary path. But I always love to first visit people's, you know, childhood and past and how did they get to where they are? Because you grew up in the South, right? You were from yes. New Orleans. I was from New Orleans and I was um, born in 1936. So I'm, I'm over the hill for sure, but- You look uh, incredible by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's the jeans. But, um, I thought it was I, the wine. <laughs> the wine. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I always say that at the winery. But anyway, um, yeah, I grew up um, in the forties uh, yeah, under Jim Crow rules. Oh and God. as a woman of color, uh, we suffered a lot of persecution and um, uh, inequities. And uh, so my family, uh, my heritage, I should say, is um, my subculture is Creole. And so that's French, Spanish, and African-American. And so whenever we were able to pass for white, we did because of all of the inequities that were imposed upon us. And um, it was yeah. cool. I mean, when I went with my white family, um, I experienced all the opportunities and advantages that the white world had. And then when I went out with my black family, I suffered the suppressions of having to step off the sidewalk when a white person came by kept my head down, we couldn't even look at them. You know, we drank water out of the colored fountains, out of the back of the bus, all of those things that you've heard of. You know, uh, I grew up in the South as well. And, um, you know, I am aware of the separate water fountains and all of this terrible inequities. It, it, it's so sad. It's hard to talk about actually. Yeah, it, um, it brings tears to my eyes just today. I mean, it's- To, to me too, Iris. And, um, I understand that you left at the age of 12 because you all wanted to leave the racist South and you came out here to California. Correct, correct, correct. And we were actually, my mother and I, she was single, my father had left already. And uh, we came to California because he was living in California, but we were actually a part of the great migration of the 6 million people who fled the South for the North 
the West and the East and uh, for a better life. You know, so um, that was the beginning of my um, uh, real life, I would say my opportunities in life. Once I got to California, I was living the life that I expected to grow up in, that I, you know, wanted to be, uh, because I, I was always told that I could be whatever I wanted to be by my grandmother, my father. And so I believe that children of all races need to hear that growing up. They need to hear that they can be whatever they want to be, especially women, especially women, because yeah. we need that. And, and that's part of my book. I want to uh, express to young women that they can do whatever they want to do and be whatever they want to be. I think that's extremely yes. important. And, and I know you have a book coming out at the end of the year and people will be able to check that out. Uh, one life between two worlds. Yes. Uh, and I know it's your memoir. So I, yes. I can't wait to read it, to be honest. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I can't wait so, for it to come out. It took me three years to write it. Oh my gosh. But it's oh, finally labor ready. Labor of love, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Let's talk about, it wasn't easy even when you got out here because at 15, you became pregnant, but I loved your grit and fortitude. You were damned and determined to be successful. And I I know your story is that you went to night school um, and and then eventually worked uh, the front office of an insurance company. And that's really what launched you into one day uh, owning your own. Uh, You were the uh, first a minority woman-owned insurance company that focused on federally funded programs, right? Exactly, yeah. So so what happened there was, uh, I started the agency in 1967, right after the Watts riots. And my husband and I had properties in uh, the uh, curfew area. So it wasn't in, they weren't in Watts, but during the riots, the National Guard set up a boundary and it became known as redlining. And, uh, and so the insurance companies and investment companies, banks and mortgage companies, all use that redlining to suppress, further suppress people um, in minority communities. So we actually couldn't buy insurance um, for our own properties in that area. So because I had a background in insurance, my husband asked me if I would open an insurance agency so that we could insure our properties. And it turns out that I was really able to assist escrow companies and people of color that lived in those communities to secure insurance for them at a rate that was comparable to other rates outside of that area. So that really launched my career uh, but what I discovered was that there were very few Black-owned companies during the 1960. This was 1967 when I started. Wow. And, uh, Incredible so, you started it. Yeah. So uh, the thing is, you know, because I was able to do that, um, I wanted to go from, from personal lines insurance to commercial insurance. That's when I was looking for Black-owned businesses. They didn't have many. So I decided to focus on nonprofits like the Urban League, NAACP, Drew Medical School, Watts Health Foundation. And those agencies led me into politics. And so that's how I 
really launched my career as a specialist in federally funded programs. Yeah, I mean, not only were you a successful businesswoman uh, in the time when there weren't many successful businesswomen, especially Black-owned uh, businesswomen right. uh, companies, uh, I mean, that's why I call you. You, you truly are a trailblazer. Uh, but you, you also were a huge activist working with Mayor Bradley, I know. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, it was again in the 70s, and um, he wanted to create a Black business community. The city of Los Angeles, along with other cities throughout the country, were granted uh, these funds to assist impoverished areas and to raise the economic level of underprivileged people and their communities. So uh, the city of LA was granted a $50 million uh, program, a grant, and uh, I was awarded the contract for that whole program, which covered both East Los Angeles and Watts. And uh, I had to write the entire insurance um, specifications because no one had thought about it. And so that was a whole big challenge for me. Um, but we did win the, the contract. And that made me the first woman of color, minority woman, minority owned company uh, to be awarded a major contract with the city of LA. Fantastic. And then if that's not enough, you went on to start your own uh, securities uh, and investment firm, right? Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. It's never enough for me. I never, I never <laughs> stop long enough to look at my rewards or successes. And Just keep going. So I'm always driven, and I think that's really important to challenge yourself and keep going. So, um, yeah, I started a securities firm in 1974 and um, specialized in municipal bond financing because I was already involved with the city of LA and saw opportunities there for women and minorities. And, um, and so I, I did that for a while, um, municipal bond financing, and then decided I did not like getting up in the morning. <laughs> it required Wall Street, you know, three hours ahead of us um, getting there at my office and I, by then I had hired a couple of traders and they were trading a few million dollars before I got to my office. So I thought, no, this is not for me and decided to uh, venture into pension planning. So I went back to school and studied uh, finance and got all the licenses that I need, needed to establish a security firm. And again, uh, then I was awarded the second and final contract with the city of LA to advise their city employees. And they had 30,000 city employees that I was responsible for advising them in pension planning. So wow. I did that with the Hartford Insurance Company. So the Hartford was the investment uh, company and, uh, and I was the one that was advising uh, the employees. So that required my opening a second office and hiring like 50 certified financial planners, uh, training. It was wonderful. It was another challenge and it was great. Wow. Amazing. If you know, it's big enough to have one successful business, but two, but then let's get to number three. Uh, <laughs> so here you have these two businesses and you decide to start a winery. You're the first black woman in America to have 
a winery uh, in the San Inez Valley, which is right outside Los Angeles. While you're running the two companies, yes, you started this winery. Yes. yes. Unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you, I was looking towards retiring because it was after 30 years of doing this, uh, running my insurance agency and the securities firm. So I thought, time to go, you know, uh, before they kill me between politics and, and the financial world. So uh, I got in my car and started driving north. Didn't know a soul. I found the valley, loved it. I saw it and I went, this is where I want to live the rest of my life. And uh, it turned out it was the absolute best chapter in my life because I wound up in wine country and uh, there was nothing to do other than ride horses or drink wine. And so I like to drink wine and uh, so I started, I founded um, uh, a 22 acre property that lay just in front of my home property. And on it is a Santa Barbara County historical landmark that was built in 1884, had been abandoned for 10 years. So it took me two years to restore it. I loved every minute of it. And uh, I furnished it with antiques from the time, from that period. Uh, then planted my vineyard. Well, I opened my doors in, in 97. Took me two years to restore the old house. Opened my doors in 97 and then planted the vineyard, uh, 15 acres uh, in 97, 97. Right. No, I'm sorry, 98, 98, because I opened my doors in 97 and invested in the vineyard in 98. Wow. Well, I know you've had the vineyard a very long time now and uh, you've kind of stepped away and, and it's, you know, running and it's amazing. And it's award-winning wines. I know I have personally tried them and, and oh, they wonderful. are amazing. Yep. Yeah. I was on a wine tasting with my co-founder of She Angels Foundation, Kat Curry, and uh, we did it for our oh. members and it, it, it really exceptional wine. I can see why it's award-winning. So bravo Thank to you. you. And I love Kat. I mean, I really do. She's been a member of the club for like 20 years, almost mm -hmm. since I started it, which I did. I had it for, I owned it for 20 years. And then at the age of 80, I decided it was time to retire. Yeah. I, I still can't believe you're 80. So I'm going to keep drinking that wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing to do. It's more fun anyway. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, um, I do want to mention, like we said at the beginning, that you do have a book coming out called One Life Between Two Worlds. It's yes. your memoir. What does that mean, One Life Between Two Worlds? I mean, I think I know what it means, but let's explain it to the listeners. Yes, well, because I grew up in the two worlds, both white and black world, um, I learned in the beginning how to live those two worlds, live in those two worlds. So it gave me an opportunity to feel like I belonged. Initially in the South, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. But as I grew older and moved to California, I could see that my background helped me to adjust to a new world. And, and so that's why I named it One Life Between Two Worlds. And, and I actually lived that. And the beginning of the book actually starts off with my experience coming to California with my maternal grandmother. And we came as white and we, we lived all the privileges of 
dining in the white cars and, and sleeping in a beautiful suite and just having all those privileges. Uh, but my grandmother stayed in California and when the summer was over and it was time for me to come back, I had to come back with my mother's black girlfriend and we had to travel in the Jim Crow Negro car, which was horrifying. There was no food, there was no service, there was no comfort. They even had luggage in that room that we had that car that we had to share. Um, hard wooden floors, I'm, I'm sorry, benches that we slept on. Okay. Uh, the girl that I traveled with uh, had a bag of fried chicken and potato chips or something. I don't know, I don't remember. But uh, it was mortifying. And I couldn't get so, off the train. So wait, so you're talking about coming from the South out here to the West? I'm, I'm talking about I, initially yeah. leaving New Orleans with my grandmother, passing for white on the white train coming to California. Oh. At the end of the summer, my grandmother stayed in California. Oh. And I had to come back with my mother's black girlfriend. Oh, so then you had to travel and back. And I experienced the Jim Crow Negro car, is what it was called. Wow. It was horrible. Oh, my gosh. It was just horrible. I mean, it was not clean. It smelled of rancid chicken. Uh, and, and the people that were in the car, the black people, you could see the pain, the suffering. I cried the whole time. Oh my God! It was this is a terrible experience. I was ten years old, so um, that stayed with me. That's the beginning of my book, and then right. it gets better from there. You know, I think uh, it's great that you're writing this book because it's so relevant to today, uh, with what we're going through, where we're trying to make progress and we're struggling in this country with this continued racism <laughs> that has been here for so many decades, uh, over a century. Um, gosh, it's just time for us to move on, isn't it? And they say the yes. planets are aligning for this to happen. And I, I'm praying that we really are getting to a new place, uh, that there exactly. is opportunity in this country for everybody, just like it has always been meant to be. That's always been our ideology, always but it been hasn't our, been our reality. It's not our reality. And unfortunately, where we are today, it's really kind of setting us back again. I mean, we're looking at Jim Crow laws that are being um, passed through several states now, 40 some states have uh, um, approved these laws into, into effect that suppress the voter rights. Uh, and we're calling it, we're going back to the Jim Crow laws. Now, I don't like to be totally negative, and I, I say from where I came from, we've come three steps forward, but we're taking one step back right now. Right. So it's really important for us as Americans to understand the importance of segregation and how horrible it is. We're supposed to be a nation united for everyone, equal to everyone, having the opportunity for education for everyone. And that's another thing that I just want to mention briefly. Our communities, our black and brown communities, where these kids are killing each other with guns that we should not have on the street to start with, 
It's because they have no opportunity. They have no education. All they see is drugs. And way back when, when we introduced drugs to those communities, we thought they would stay there. Well, guess what? It's all over the country now. All of our children are suffering from it. So we have to get a handle as America on this real problem. And I didn't mean to get into politics that much, but it's a, it's a, it's a subject that's close to my heart. And uh, your whole story is all about the relevancy of politics today. So how could we not mention it? And, and your book, I, I'm so proud of you writing your story because it's, it's going to be an amazing story to be telling right now. Um, again, it's one life between two worlds. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's going to be something that everyone should read at this time when things are, like you said, yes, we were three steps forward, but now we're going one step back Correct. to give a wake up call to how it was and right. how it is today and where we need to go. So very important book. I'm really proud of you that you wrote that and that you're sharing your personal story and your success is such an inspiration to so many uh, little girls of all ethnicities. That's, right. That's uh, what I want, Catherine. Yeah. That's exactly my goal. I want to inspire children, young girls, young women of all colors that they can be whatever they want to be you have to just believe in yourself. But more importantly, you have to have somebody to tell you that when you're young. Yeah. You know, to let that be a reality for you, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, I wanted to mention another thing. Um, what I have just recently discovered is that we have a whole group of uh, Black women, men, uh, sommeliers, winemakers, I couldn't hire one when I first started. Right. And now there's this whole, there's this Hugh Society that just um, um, named one of their chapters after me. And I'm just so proud of what they're doing because they're, they want to assimilate into society and be a part of it, you know? And I'm yes. really, really proud of them. And now I did hire a woman winemaker, an, a woman assistant winemaker, and another woman winemaker assistant to her, uh, all three of them worked for me in the winery. And that was not until 19, let me see, I'm sorry, 2014. Oh my gosh, wow. 2014, yeah. And now Prior it's all, that, all women. No wonder that wine is so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because we have the same palate. Right. <laughs> Well, I want people to know they can find you at irisrideau.com. Can they find you on social media? Uh, yes, I have an Instagram account. Great. You can find me there. And, and is, I, that, is that under your name, Iris? Iris Rideau? It's under my name. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's an amazing one. I can't wait to read the book. Um, and I really appreciate... Uh, just everything you've done. Uh, you're such an inspiration. And I know you're going to inspire so many listeners to feel like, you know, look at the odds of what she, what you overcame 
and, yeah. and became successful, not once, not twice, but three times. And I, <laughs> and I have a feeling uh, absolutely there's a fourth coming and that's I think the book. So too. That's the yeah. book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know what? You're wonderful, Catherine. You are a great host. You really are. And I think that I love your show. I looked at your other iPod shows and I, I think what you're doing is just sensational. This is what we need as women. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for being my guest, my extraordinary guest. I'm so honored. And uh, everybody out there, remember to invest in her. Watch us every week. Follow us on She Angel Investors and She Angels Foundation. And be sure to follow Iris Rideau and visit irisrideau.com. And be sure to have some Rideau wine. Enjoy your week. (laughs) Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our theme music was created and produced by Lindsay Tomasic.